Our Father, we are thankful today that we are here. And we're here, Lord, because we've been saved and redeemed by precious blood. We're here today, Lord, because you've rescued us from the perils of Satan and sin and the doldrums and the darkness of sin's depravity. We thank you for the life of the Spirit of God that has filled us, that has anointed us and given us a hope and given us a hunger and given us a thirst and brought us right into the courtroom of heaven. We thank you, Lord, we can come today not in the beauty of whatever we're wearing, but we come in a greater beauty, the beauty of holiness. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. We come into the house of God today because you have won the affections of our hearts. And we're glad to be here this, this morning. And so we pray, dear God, that we will sense your presence as we sing your praises. And Lord, that you will see as we lift up hands in, in holiness to God, that you will see a surrendered heart, a hungry heart, Lord, humble hearts, as we come into your presence today. In Christ's name we pray. And everybody said. Let's all stand and sing the first couple of songs. The first one always reminds us of who God is. Holy, holy, holy. We'll stand and sing together, please.
this holy God is also faithful. He's faithful to you today because you've got breath in your body, you've got desire in your soul, and you've got joy in your heart. Isn't that true? Though it might be raining outside, the Son of God, the, the Son of God's righteousness can be shining within our soul. Great is thy faithfulness.
declared his holiness, we've declared his faithfulness, and let's now declare our love for him. We'll sing it through twice. I love you, Lord. Did you tell the Lord you loved him this morning? Did some of you boys tell the wife you loved her? Tell the Lord you loved him right now, an intimate an experience with God. I love you, Lord. Father, we thank you this morning that we can declare our love for you. Lord, once we loved ourselves, once we loved the world, once we loved our sin, but to give God thank you, we love the Savior. To love him because he first loved us. Lord, this love wouldn't be in our hearts if it not been for the divine intervention of God in our experience. Thank you, Lord, that the love of God was shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost that came into us. Thank you for divine love. Thank you for supernatural love. Thank you for love that longs for the deeper things of God, that loves him because he first loved us. Our Father, we pray that you'll help us to enter into his courts with praise, thanksgiving, and with love. Love for the Lord and love for him, his own people. Oh God, we pray, would you, would you minister to us and through us today as we come to declare your, your holiness, your faithfulness, and your great love. And all the people agreed and said, Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to ask the boys and girls, please. I know we have a few down here, but I want some boys and girls to help me out here because I'm in bad shape if you don't come. Our God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. Where are they all today? All right. Good man, Reuben. And Heidi, you come on ahead. And a few others. Where's the rest of them? Are they absconding? What did you do last Sunday on them? Right. Usually about 14 or 15. Anyway, this will do. Any of you young ones, thank you very much for helping out. Anybody else coming? Our God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing that God cannot do. Any grannies want to bring up some wings? You can come on ahead as well. All right. Thanks so much. Thanks, Reuben Heidi. Thanks so much. Oh, so our God is a great big God. Sorry, that's all right. Whatever. 
Sunday school's happening, so anybody else that's here, look at them wee boys that didn't come out for Sunday. Thank you very much. Away you go now. Sunday school helpers get to work. I'm going to ask Oliver, please. Oliver was to read last Sunday, uh, but he's reading today. So Oliver, if you come read for us just now. Thank you very much. As a 16-year-old living in today's society, faced with pressure to follow the crowd, I know I have to obey and abide in God's word. In Psalms, we are taught that those who have reverent fear for the Lord will be protected. Uh, first verse is Psalm 5, verse 11 to 12. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord, you cover him with favour as a, with a shield. Psalm 34 verse 7 says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Thanks, Oliver. I appreciate that so much. Uh, just before we come to, uh, our, to the table, we'll all stand and sing this next song again. Uh, please, Jesus paid it all.
You may be seated. I'm going to read a few verses to you from Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, these are blessed verse, uh, verses, and sometimes people get a wee bit distracted by some of the doctrinal implications of it, uh, and we miss the wonderful deep truths that are there. But Ephesians chapter 1 says this, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus. You're wondering what a saint is. It is anyone who has been born again of God's Spirit. To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for the adoption of him to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our, of our trans- trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us, not meagerly, but he lavishly, generously lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. I was poring over that little passage this morning as I was thinking about our time around the table this morning, and this is one of our special times and our precious times in any part of the service. This is the one thing we know that he has commanded us to do, And if you know and love the Lord and you're walking in fellowship with him, you're wonderfully invited to be shared with us. Uh, You don't have to be a member, but you can just be a member of the family of God. And that is all that's required. And if you're walking with him and God gives you a command to, uh, to, to, uh, to celebrate this time. But as I was pouring over it this morning, I could easily... Uh, Paul could, I was thinking about Paul, and he could have easily written those, uh, that song, 10,000 Reasons. Every, every word, every symbol in this passage is a reason to give God thanks. He says, blessed be the God and Father. Isn't it wonderful to be able to call him Father today, isn't it? Isn't it wonderful to know that we were, who Peter once said we were not a people, but now we're the people of God. We've been adopted and translated into the kingdom of his dear son. And we have no fear of the future and no shame of the past. It's all gone. He could easily have written, Amazing Grace. We'll be singing that this evening. My chains are gone. Through the work and through the power and through the purpose of Jesus Christ. He could have written that song that Charles Wesley penned, And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Saviour's love? And he puts in this verse, um, Long my imprisoned soul lay... Uh, Along my imprisoned soul lay fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. Paul talked about that in Ephesians 2. You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. I like to put it over like this. We were exploded into life. Exploded into life. And uh, what? so he could easily have written those words. So what, what, could, he have, uh, what could he have written? Well... We have every spiritual blessing in Christ. We have been chosen to be the family of God. You know, whatever you get into, I was going to buy some fruit. And Esther says, where did you go? Yes, she said, you got far more fruit than I wanted. 
But I went into three different shops to get the kind of fruit that I wanted, and I wanted good quality stuff. Uh, hands up, who does that? You want, you want fresh stuff. Who picks the rubbish? Huh? Gary. Who, Gary? <laughs> oh, dear. Imagine those old, weasened up, old, withered old tomatoes, and those pears that are half gone. Hey, listen, listen. Whenever God saw you and me, it wasn't because we were the choice in the pack. Nothing special about us other than he chose us because of his perfect will and plan for us. Now, wonderful to know that whenever he's going through the various layers, he chose you, not randomly, he chose you from the foundation of the world. There's a cause for blessing the Lord, isn't it? Not only that, but we've been redeemed, brought back and bought back. Not only from the caverns of sin, but brought into the fellowship of God's people. That's the full purpose of redemption. And what about this? We've been forgiven. Lovely to know you're forgiven today. You know, it's, it's tremendous to know that the things that we got involved in, the things that we were uh, party to, are all under the blood. But here, some of you may have been brought up like myself, not with two... Uh, not with two pennies to rub together. And that is physically. But not one of us had two pennies to rub together when we're in the spiritual sense. And now we've got the inheritance of Christ's glory. We've got all the riches of glory in Christ Jesus. I said to shout it to a boy I met the other day in, in, a, in a shop. Uh, I, I, I said, uh, how are you getting on, Gordon? He said, we're getting on the very best. He says, are you on another holiday? I says, my father treats his children well. And he says, glad. He says, he says, it's good that you can afford it. I says, my father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And not one of them sick. Have we a lot to give God thanks for? That's why we're here. That's why we come to celebrate and to give him thanks around the table. Because those blessings, if Paul could have been able to write those songs... Could we not? What songs in your heart today? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the fact that we come to a God who's interested in our well-being and interested in our very being. And, oh God, thank you that we come to one who's not impotent, but he's able. He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or think. And, Lord, we know still you're a sovereign God, and God does whatever God wants to do whenever he wants to do it. And, Lord, we bow to your sovereignty, and we bow to your will and your purposes. And yet, O oh God, we lift up those that we've mentioned just in our hearing today. Lord, we pray for Gordon, we pray for Sandra, we pray for that young man, uh, James, in, in his addiction. Lord, we pray for others that are caught with the snare of the devil. Lord, we think of our community that's been ravished by the perils of sin and addiction and all the, uh, the awful vices and devices of the devil. But, O oh God, we thank you that Jesus is mightier than Satan yes. and sin. Yes. And, O oh, we thank you that he's able to rescue, he's able to save, he's able to deliver. He's able to bring to, to being those that are not. Lord, we thank you that whenever we look at the creation, we, Lord, we know that you created order out of chaos, beauty out of ashes. You bring, Lord, you can bring love uh, into, a, into a heart that's full of lust. Lord, you can bring light into a place that's uh, a heart that's full of darkness. 
Lord, we pray for those who need God's touch today. Lord, even in this service, we pray, dear God, that as your servant comes to minister, that he will know the help and anointing of the Holy Spirit. Lord, because we can't do it without you. Lord, we, we acknowledge, Lord, it's not by learning. It's not necessarily by our, by our, by our a deep study, but it's by the anointing of God. It's the anointing that breaks the yoke. So, Father, we pray for your servant as he comes. Lord, may he know the fullness of the Spirit of God as he, as he communicates your word to our hearts. Thank you for him and Margaret, Lord. Thank you for their life and for their service for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we pray, dear Father, for ourselves. We think of the youngsters that have gone out to Sunday school. We think of the Bible class that happened before the service. And we ask, Lord, that each and every one may know your blessing today. Bless those who minister to young people. Think of the youth fellowship tonight, Lord. We ask, O oh God, that our brother Scott, as he comes to share your word, Lord, that he know the help and anointing of the Spirit of God. So we commit ourselves to you, Lord. We commit this community. We commit our fellowship to you. We commit ourselves to you, and as we lift up this offering, we pray that you'll take it up and use it for your own eternal glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to get you remain seated for the first part. We're going to have an offering for the Lord's work at this time. And as I say, if you don't come prepared, that's fine. Uh, and just let the player pass you by. But we're going to sing together as you remain seated, Christ our hope in life and death.
may not be aware of this, but I am one year old today. Exactly one year to the day I took the pastorate here in Kilobak Elam. Now, I didn't say that for a round of applause. I'm sure you've had to put up with the misery of listening to me. Uh, but one of the men that was instrumental, not only Jack and Catherine, but one of, one of the people that was very much instrumental in this all coming about was Edwin Michael, and he's the superintendent of the Elam churches here in Ireland. Uh, Edwin, it is really, really good and a tremendous pleasure to have you and Margaret with us here this morning. I trust that you've enjoyed the service this morning, and we're looking forward now as you come to minister to us just now. Thank you, Edwin. Thank you. Thanks so much, Trevor. Bless you. Thank you so much, Trevor. I think I'm getting a little noise, guys. No, it could just be a creak, you know, at this age. Things start to, things start to give um, that way. Everything okay? Super. Well, we'll see how we go. Folks, it's great to be with you. Absolutely tremendous. And you know what? I am going to ask you to give them a round of applause. Come on. Bless you, no? Praise God. You know, we need to be encouraging one another in these days in the work of the Lord, encouraging leaders, encouraging those who are laboring in the work of God. Uh, whatever form that may take, whatever they may be doing, it's absolutely tremendous. Um, it's great this morning, not only to be with you, but it's, it's great to be here and to look down, see the building almost filled, to see the overflow open at the back, and to hear you singing with real volume. We're here to worship the Lord, aren't we? We're here to lift up his name, give him praise and honor and glory, and there's certainly that note amongst you, so bless you for that. I'm, looks like I'm going to get a change, and while we're doing that, turn to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to read there together. know a man who arrived at church one morning and uh, he was there to preach and when he got there there had been a power cut and the pastor of the local church came out rushed out to him before he even got into the building and he says to him he says tell me this can you preach without power <laughs> and he said well some people would say I've been doing it for years there you go let's read the word of God together Hebrews chapter 12 and we're reading from verse 1 it says, therefore, we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you would become weary 
and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted on the bloodshed, striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to children or sons. My son, do not despise the chastening, the discipline of the Lord. And don't be discouraged even if you're rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and he scourges. He reproves every son, every child he receives. And if you endure disciplining, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not discipline? But if you are without disciplining, of which all have become partakers, then you're illegitimate and not sons. And furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they, that's our earthly fathers, indeed for a few days chastened or disciplined us as seemed best to them. But he, our heavenly father, does it for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present but grievous. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those, those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that that which is lame may not be dislocated, but rather let it be healed. And we know God will bless the public reading of his own precious word this morning. I've got a kind of a, a strange introduction to my sermon, but here we go this morning. And it's simply to ask this question. I wonder, is there anyone here this morning in this crowd or maybe watching later online whenever it goes out and you felt like giving up lately and what do I mean when I say giving up I'm not talking about coming to some place in your journey where you're serving God and you believe that God is leading you to leave that down and take up something else for him or a change of post or position or a change of when a pastor decides to move to somewhere else or anything like that I'm talking about giving up without divine permission. I'm talking about finding yourself, perhaps as a child of God, in some situation, maybe perhaps you've been let down, disappointed, hurt. You're carrying something of unforgiveness or bitterness. You're worn down. Or perhaps you've faced trial after trial in your life, your family, your business, or in some way in your life has been under pressure for a period of time, and you say, I have nothing left to give, and I feel like giving up. You would be amazed that even in a, in a group this size, as we sing and as we praise God and as we come and go from service, that even in the midst of all that we're doing in the life of church, people can come hurting. They can sometimes go hurting. And there can be people who feel, I've got nothing left to give. I feel that all I can do right now is throw the talent. Now you say that's a strange introduction to a sermon and maybe you're sitting thinking, well surely there would be nobody in Kulabaki like that. There'd be nobody listening online that would ever get to that place. Or, or perhaps you're thinking no self-respecting Christian would ever get really to a place like that. Well let me say to you that the people at this letter, the letter to the Hebrews, the people that this letter was written to, that's exactly where they were. 
And the whole, the whole letter is written to encourage them to keep going whenever things are tough, to keep going whenever the hard times come. And that's why whenever you dip into the book of Hebrews, you find Jesus being presented to them. They, they came from a, a Jewish background. And Jesus is presented to them in a particular way. Because when they came to faith from their Jewish background and they began to follow the Messiah, this new faith, this new religion of that time, suddenly there came along with their newfound faith persecution and hardship. These people were really suffering to follow Jesus. Some of them lost their homes. Some of them lost their standing in society. They were suffering severe trials. And whenever we think about what they were going through, it was one hardship after another. Just think about it. They had come to follow this Messiah. They believed that Jesus had died for them, had risen again, and they come to this new faith, and yes, they get the experience of being born again. They get the wonderful experience of the infilling of the Spirit, but with it comes an awful lot of hardship and trials that wore them down over a period of time. And some of them, were considering turning back to the old covenant worship. Some of them were considering going back and giving up on following Jesus. Now, remember this, that don't shoot me here, but according to some verses you read in Hebrews, it's possible, I'm just saying it's possible, that maybe when Hebrews was written and these believers were going through this, and they may even have lived in Jerusalem, it's possible that the temple was still standing. All the, 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 the sacrifices and all of the centuries of history and tradition was all around them. And it seemed to be so stable. It seemed to be so secure. It seemed to be so certain that it had all the smells and the bells. And it, it just seemed like, you know, it would be easier to go back to that. And whenever you come to this book... The writer presents Jesus to them in a particular way. He's saying to them, if you read it, Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than angels. In the old covenant, you had a high priest, but Jesus is not just a high priest. He's the great high priest. And everything is written in a particular way and presented to them to say, listen, you can't go back. There's nothing back there to go to. Because Jesus that you are now following, he's the ultimate fulfillment of everything that the Old Testament spoke about. He is the Messiah. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And there can be no going back because there's nothing to go back to. But they were going through a time of hardship and a time of discouragement. And this temptation to revert back to Judaism. With all the temptation, the history of the temple and the worship and everything that seems so solid. Then they come to faith in Jesus. Hey, no buildings, nothing fancy. Just this faith, this raw faith and the persecution that came with it. So the writer introduces this word. You find it in verses 1, 2, 3, 7, and 20. The word endure or to persevere. And, and it really means to bear up under trial, to continue when the going gets tough. And I tell you, that's the kind of grit that God wants to put in his people. And we may well be coming to a day in the life of the church when things won't be as pleasant for us in this country as we see it around the world already, as maybe it has been in past decades. 
And God needs people who are followers, people who are determined to press through. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The world behind us, the cross before us, no turning back. And the writer was writing to a people to encourage them to keep going. You know, I've discovered that sometimes whenever we as the people of God go through trials, it's, not the, it's sometimes not the severity of a trial that wears us down, but the longevity of a trial. Sometimes it's not the severity of what we face, but how long we have to face it, how long we have to carry what we're carrying. You know, if I were, if I were to call someone up here and, and some, some of the young people and you're working out in the gym and you're bulked up and you're, you're, you're fit and everything else, and I was to say to you, can you, anybody, I see some people going, yeah, that's you or whatever. I was to bring you up and say to you, listen, there's a bottle of water. Can you hold it out there at arm's length? You'd say, that's not a problem. And you would take that and you'd hold that bottle at arm's length. But if you're still holding it at arm's length at 3 o'clock when I finish preaching, no, you don't worry about that. It's just a wee joke along the way. If you're still holding it out there at arm's length at the end of this service, I guarantee you it'll be a different matter. And it's not the weight. It's not the severity of what we sometimes face. It's how long we have to keep on facing it. And you know, in, in Pentecostal circles, thank God for all that we have. I'm delighted tonight that you'll be praying for the sick in service. Thank God he still heals today. But sometimes in Pentecostal circles, we forget that before the healing comes, there's been a great need. And there's the need to press through that period to get to the miracle, to get to the breakthrough in God. And sometimes in Pentecostal circles, we don't have a great theology around trials or even around suffering. And sometimes whenever... The world doesn't treat us fairly or it, it deals as a curveball. Sometimes as Pentecostals, all we can do is just stand and shout, you know, I'm a Pentecostal, get me out of here. I shouldn't have to face this. I shouldn't have to go through this. But you know, every miracle in the Word of God and every miracle that has ever been received was preceded by a period of need. And sometimes a prolonged period of need. A time when we need to learn to lean into God and to hold on to Him. And maybe you're here today or someone's listening and you're saying, you know, I don't really have anything left in the tank. I know the Scriptures that the grace of God is sufficient, but I don't feel today I can go any further and I feel like throwing in the towel. Three reasons why you shouldn't. Number one, because the Lord hasn't left us in the dark about trials and about testings in the Christian life. Look with me at verses 5 and 6. He says to these believers, You have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons or children. My son, do not despise the discipline of the Lord, and don't be discouraged even if you're rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he reproves every son or every child that he receives. The writer identifies the trials they're going through as part of the processes of God within their life. And he says to them, this is, God is working somehow through this. He may well at some point give you the, the release. He may at some point give you the deliverance from that. He may at some point set you free. But until that moment, be assured that God is working. God is with you. Do not be afraid. But the remarkable thing about these two verses 
is that they're not original to this writer. Because actually he was quoting to them from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. Exactly the same words, exactly the same teaching. And so he says to them, you've forgotten. Remember, they came from a Jewish background. And what he's saying to them is this. Listen, trials, they've always been the lot of God's people. The people of God have always gone through seasons of difficulty and seasons where they have, have been pressed. And coming, he's saying to them, coming from the background you come from, you should already know that. And so he was saying to them, the trials that you are facing as you follow this Messiah, as you have stepped into this new faith, no, it's all one thing. It's the same faith through Old Testament and New Testament. And trials have always been a part of the thing that the people of God are called to go through. Seasons of testing, seasons of trials. And he was saying to them, trials are not new. And all of us folks will go through seasons like that at some stage in our Christian life. Now, please don't hear something I'm not saying. Please don't go out and say, oh, Edwin Michael doesn't believe in healing anymore. Of course we believe that the Lord is able. He's risen, isn't he? Sometimes we hear people talk today and I hear people saying, you know, the day of miracles is past. Can I tell you this, folks? There never was such a thing as a day of miracles. The Bible introduces us to a God of miracles. And he says, I never change. Oh, he's able to deliver. He's able to set free. But I don't know the mind and the purpose of God in your life and even in my own life in any given season. And whenever we face stuff, sometimes God will take us around it. Sometimes he'll take us over it. Sometimes he'll teach us to, to believe in faith. Sometimes he'll teach us to resist the enemy. Sometimes he'll blow the thing out of the way. And sometimes he takes us through. But he says, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. And we need to learn that even though there may be suffering in the moment, even though weeping may endure for a night, joy comes, doesn't it? Joy comes in the morning, praise his name, because he's faithful and he says, I am with you always. And he will guide us and he will take us through. And so trials come to all believers in some season. You know, and it's amazing, isn't it? That whenever we go through stuff, or whenever we go through stuff for a prolonged period of time, and I, I speak from experience, I speak from my own life, it's then that the enemy whispers in our ear, doesn't he? And he says, where's God now? Yeah. Oh, the old accuser, hey? The one who's always out to turn things upside down, accuse God to us, accuse us to God. And you know, it's there that he says to the believer in the time of trial, where is God? He's not with you. Or perhaps he maybe even says to someone, particularly in the early days of their faith, if you were truly a Christian, you wouldn't be going through this. This is a sign that God is not with you. But in actual fact, this passage teaches us that it's the total opposite that's true. Doesn't the devil always love to take the word of God and try to turn it upside down? He'll quote the word, but he'll twist it in some way to try to make it mean something different. This passage teaches us that actually the opposite is true. It's because we're children of God that sometimes we go through the things that we go through. You say, oh, I don't know about that. Read the Bible. Read about the people of God, both Old Testament and New. And it was because they loved the Lord. It was because they worshipped. 
that often they had to encounter and go through the stuff that they went through. And the devil says to us, in the time of trial, God isn't with you, or perhaps you're not a child of God at all. But the scripture teaches us here that trials are not the sign of God's absence. They're actually the proof of God's presence. And we need to get that written in our hearts and written in our souls. He says in verse 8, he actually says to them in verse 8, if you are without discipline, he says these trials are part of the disciplining hand of God. And in verse 8, he says to them, actually, the problem is not having the trials, but in verse 8, he says, if you're without the discipline, it's then that you need to be worried. Because if you're without the discipline, that could show that actually you're illegitimate and not truly the children of God at all. And so the devil says to us in the time of need or when the trial perseveres, God's not with you. But the scripture actually says it's because God is with us that God will journey with us through stuff and he uses it in a particular way in our lives. Can I ask you this? Have you ever felt like disciplining somebody else's children? Ah, listen. I've never said that anywhere that I didn't get exactly that reaction. Don't do it, all right, okay? But hey, we've all been in situations where we thought, hmm, okay, um, you know, some discipline would be in order there. But we don't know what anyone may be going through or the needs that a child may have or, or anything like that. And we always need to be very careful. We don't discipline other people's children. Let me say this to you, neither does the Lord. Judgment awaits those outside the kingdom of God. But once we step into the family of God, we find in the hand of God there comes a discipline. And I will unpack that in a moment. But it always flows from the loving heart of the Father for our good. He's the perfect Father. And he works in the lives, he says here in this passage, of every son, every daughter, every child that he receives, God will work. And when you and I come to faith, thank God our sins are forgiven. Thank God we can, whatever phrase you want to put upon it, we have an open door to heaven one day when we leave this world. Heaven is assured to us. Eternal life begins within us. But that's not all that we get. Because the moment that you and I come to faith, we step into God's program. And God's program, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, is to transform us into the image of Jesus. That there's a constant transformation that God is looking in our lives. He's looking us to grow up. He's looking us to arm up in the things of God. He's looking us to mature in the things of God. He's looking to deepen us, develop us, build us up. And that stepping into God's program sometimes means that we will go through situations and we will go through things. And God hasn't left us in the dark about it. It's clearly there in Scripture. It's clearly there in the Old Testament. And there will be seasons when things won't always fall out our way, when the path won't always be smooth and straight and clear. And in those moments, there can be tears, there can be waiting, there can be hardships, there can be struggles, there can be battles in our mind, battles in our heart. But it's important that we don't give up because the Lord hasn't left us in the dark about it. Second reason we can't give up is because God doesn't allow anything in our life. He doesn't allow anything in our life to purpose. The writer says to these believers, these trials you're going through, 
These are the disciplines of God. Now, that word discipline. You see, in the era that I grew up in, discipline only had one connotation. I don't know about you, but the word discipline only meant one thing, and it wasn't good, usually. Do you know whenever parents used to say, no, and we're not getting into the subject of physical discipline, right or wrong, okay, don't go out and quote me in any way, but do you remember back in the day when parents used to say, I have no pleasure in this, and this will hurt me more than it hurts you. And, and, and you used to think to yourself, I just can't put that all together. In my young mind, I cannot understand that. Then you get older in life, and you realize, leave aside the physical discipline in any way, any form of restriction or discipline of a child. When you get older and you're a parent, don't you realize you have no pleasure in that? Hey, you don't, you don't want to, but you know sometimes you have to. And God is exactly the same with us. This word discipline, it has got a couple of meanings. It can mean, first of all, to correct wrong. And before we are saved, we live according to our old fallen nature and we just treat people the way we want to or we do whatever we want to do. You know, we, we build up patterns and habits for life and then we come to faith and we are not only given the clear title to heaven, but we're into the program. God says, now we need to start to change the way you do life. You need to start to change the way you treat people. You need to start to change the way you react to people when you're wrong. You need to become a bit more like Jesus. You need to grow up. You need to start to change the things that are maybe not big lies, but they're lies just the same. And he begins to change us. He corrects wrong within us. That's one aspect of it. But the other aspect of this word discipline, and it's actually used in the passage, is that it means to train us up. To train us up. And whenever you think of being trained up, um, it, it speaks to us of getting into shape and, and, and building stamina and stretching us. Margaret and I were at, at a minister event uh, some years ago, and the minister that was speaking there, he'd carrying a little bit of weight and... He wouldn't have been somebody who, 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 he wasn't out jogging, let me put it that way. And he was using an illustration and he, and he put a chair in, in, the, in the middle of the platform and he stepped up in the chair to do this illustration. And then he looked at everybody and he said, the word you're looking for is athlete. <laughs> and that was the last word we were thinking, just to be honest. But when we think about, being, about training, we think about athlete, don't we? We think about those who, who, who run, we think about those who focus on their particular area, their particular practice, those who work at building themselves up. And you know the, the training and all the work that's done, the phrase that surrounds it is no pain, no gain. Because muscle only grows by being stretched. It's actually almost slightly damaged and then it repairs itself and it bulks muscle. And this, this whole passage, that the things that we go through, God knows all about it. And he's constantly building us up spiritually. He's, he's wanting to, to, to bulk us up spiritually, as it were. He wants to build stamina into us. He wants us to be able to go the distance. And sometimes he does that through the trials and the things that we face. Now, in the day and age in the world in which we live, everything's instant, isn't it? You know, you, you, we can't, you know if you order something online, you want to know, could you get it the next day? And, and if you have to wait four or five days, you're disappointed because you didn't get it the next day. 
everything seems to be increasingly instant in our world. And sometimes when we see, you know, when we see an athlete in some particular discipline and they, they win the prize at the end and they're getting gold, silver, or bronze and they're in one of the three steps, we immediately focus on the moment of reward and we forget totally that they didn't just start in this discipline the day before. You don't get to that podium for gold, silver, and bronze without days and weeks and months of years of being out on the track every morning, first thing, no matter what the weather, being in the gym, practicing, working out, preparing. They're there because they have been trained towards it. And in the Christian life, it's increasingly the same. We can think this, is, this is, should be easy. But I tell you, if the Bible teaches us anything, it's teaching us that we're in God's program and God's working through the circumstances of our life. And sometimes there's, there's pain in the mix. And sometimes there's tears in the mix. But God uses it all. He will teach us different things through every experience if we listen for his voice and we're willing to follow him. Amen? And he's training us up spiritually in the same way as an athlete would be, would be trained up. But in today's world, we tend to think, oh, it should be easy. But in God's world, there comes sometimes that, that training process, the disciplining hand of God through the circumstances of life. And God's saying, I'm going to teach you to respond like Jesus. And I'm going to build up your spiritual stamina. I'll teach you how to, to rest in me. I'll teach you how to enjoy the peace of God. I'll teach you how to know the joy of the Lord being your strength, even when there's no joy in the mix. I'll teach you how to rest and wait patiently on me and grow deeper in me. And then Paul tells us, in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, as we journey through life and God works through all of these things, he tells us all things are working together for good. But I love the way Paul says that. Read Romans 28, Romans 8, 28 again. Because it doesn't just say that all things work together for good. It opens by saying, Paul says to him, there it is on the screen, and we know, don't we? He says to him, aren't we? Don't, let's not forget. The same as the writer to Hebrews says to these ones, you've forgotten what the scripture teaches. And Paul says to us in Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things are working together for good. He's reminding them, and we need to constantly remind ourselves as we journey through with God. And in verse 11 of this passage, the writer says, no discipline seems to be joyful for the present, but it can be grievous. Nevertheless, afterwards, it, listen, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it, transformed into the image of Christ. Amen. You're still with me? Still friends with me? Okay. Listen, take a little bit more. I remember, um, I remember when we've got two children, with three children, one with the Lord, and we are our oldest child, our daughter, and then we have a son, Ryan, who's about 32 now. And I remember whenever Ryan was um, really small and he was around church, he was a nightmare. Ryan would, you know, at the end of the service, I was always busy. Margaret had all that to look after. I've apologized since, don't worry about that. But she always seemed to be looking after the kids. Somebody needed to speak to you, whatever it was. And... Um, I, you know, at the end of a service, Ryan could escape. So Ryan could escape during a service, let me put it that way as well. Sometimes Margaret had known him to pass back up through below the pews and come up somewhere else. He, he, was, he was a real live wire. 
And, and once after a, a service or whatever was going on, he was running around, but he slipped and he hit a chair and he split the corner of his mouth right in here, just right on the very corner of his lip. And when the service was over, well, the service was over, but when we got everything sorted out, someone from a medical background looked at him and said, look, we, we think you ought to take him to the hospital. We took him up to the hospital after the Sunday service, took him into A&E, and the doctor took him in. He was lying up on the trolley, and the doctor examined him. And then he said what we didn't want to hear. He said, yeah, he said, I think it needs a stitch right here in the corner of his mouth. So he went and he got the little foil tray and he got the stitch and everything and he put some, a little bit of local anesthetic on it. And then he looked at me, Margaret and I are standing there, he looked at me and he says, right, hold him down. <laughs> right, okay. He's about, I don't know, two, three years of age at most. And he knows something's coming and it's not good, okay? And so I, I get him by the two shoulders and I pin him down and the doctor goes in to put the stitch in and he's looking up at me, crying, and he's pleading, what, what's happening, what's going on, fear? And as the doctor's about to put the stitch in, I couldn't do it, I let him go. <laughs> and the doctor's right in with the needle right here and he's not at all pleased. So he, he says, listen, you've got to hold him down. So we regrouped, <laughs> okay, and we went in for take two, I pinned him down again. And the doctor's right in with the needle about to put the stitch in and he's looking up at me, and he's, he's crying, and he's pleading. And I let him go again. I couldn't hold him into it. And then I did what every masculine husband would do in that situation. And I remembered that we had afternoon Sunday school, and I needed to be there, and I left Margaret to it. <laughs> Ryan got held down, and he got the stitch in the corner of his mouth. Lest the humor overtake the point. Here's the thing. He was looking up at me as his father, and he was pleadingly, although he, he didn't have the words to express it because of his age, he was looking at me, and, and, and what he was really saying was, why are you doing this to me? Why are you allowing this to happen to me? And at his age, he could not understand, but the doctor had explained, look, we need to do this because perhaps later in life, who knows, this could affect speech or anything. So we need to correct it at this stage to secure the future. But how could he understand that at three years of age? Why his mother and father were literally pinning him down for a moment of pain. A moment of pain that would keep him safe in the years to come. Now translate that into our walk with God and our spiritual life. And there are seasons and there are things that we go through and we're looking up at our Heavenly Father and we're saying, Father, why? Why has this not been taken? Even Paul pleaded on one situation that this thing be removed that he was facing, whatever it may have been. And sometimes we're saying, Father, why are you holding me into this? But I want to tell you, no matter how long we, we may have been in the way with God, no matter how mature we may be in years or in spiritual years, we haven't got a clue what God's doing most of the time. The Bible says his ways are past finding out. As the heavens are high over the earth, his ways are beyond our ways. And there are seasons when God is working in our life and God lets us in and God shows us. And there are other times we journey through and we will not know. But I tell you, there's never a moment when we can't trust him. There's never a moment when it doesn't come from his father heart of love towards us. He loved us enough to die on the cross for us. Do you think he's going to let us go now? No, everything that we come across, everything that we journey through in life, 
our Father knows. You might be sitting this morning, or you might be listening online, and you might be saying, ah, but, ah, but the stuff I'm going through, it was my fault. It was the mistake I made. It was the, it was the sin that I committed. It was what I did. Can I say this to you this morning? Do you think God doesn't know about that? And if that's your situation, don't listen to the voice of the enemy because it's not hopeless. If it was your fault, bring it to Jesus, put it under the blood, get forgiveness, and realize that God can still take you from there because his grace never ends. From grace to grace, it may alter the path, it may change some things, but it doesn't mean God has left you. If you bring it, there's forgiveness with him. And the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. And God can take even that... And he can still work in your life. And he can do something through it because his great... Read about the people of God. Read about them in the Old Testament. The times when they messed up. The times when they were wayward. The times when they made mistakes. The times when they didn't get it right. And yet through it all remarkably, an unlimited, sovereign, all-powerful God weaves his plan and his purpose and he brings it to perfection through it all in spite of the human interventions and mistakes along the way. And he's exactly the same for you. There is grace and pardon if you need it. That's what the cross is about. I'm not treating sin lightly in any way. But neither do I want to leave anybody exposed to the accusing voice of the devil that makes them feel I'll throw in the towel because there's no hope for me. I tell you, he loves you still. And he can take you forward. Bless his name this morning. And through it all, there will be times when we're not sure. There will be times when we'll not be sure exactly what's going on. But I tell you, he knows the way that we take. And nothing, nothing happening in your life or my life that your heavenly father and my heavenly father is not completely, totally aware of. We're not going to really expand the last point, but let me just say this. As we journey through as the people of God and God works in our lives and people, we go through things and we can come and go from church and we may be carrying stuff that's breaking us. We need each other. Folks, what is church? Is it about coming to a service and disappearing and never getting to know anybody? This is about ticking a box before heaven. Though I've been out at a place of worship on Sunday, that'll keep me right for another week. I want to tell you, among the many things that church is, church is community. Church is people doing life together, getting to know each other, bearing one another's burdens and fulfilling the law of Christ. And you never know the person sitting next to you or coming through that door, what they're going through. And I tell you, they need a warm welcome like the pastor gave us when we came through. He was high-fiving kids this morning at the back whenever we come in the door. But they don't just need a welcome from the pastor and the leaders. They need a welcome from the body of Christ. They need to feel, this is where I belong. This is home. I'm getting to know some people. Some people are getting to know me. Some people will pray for me in the difficult season and in the hard time. This is part of the community that God has planted me in, my community of faith, my church home. And I tell you, we need that. Right, time has gone. I had some great illustrations around that, Trevor, but they'll keep to another time, okay? Last little thing. We can't give up 
because the Lord hasn't left us in the dark about trials. We can't give up because he doesn't allow anything in our life without a purpose. And the third reason that you and I cannot give up is because Jesus didn't give up on us. Jesus didn't give up on us. And it says here to consider him. And as I close this morning, think about it. We can think about it. We can come around the table. I'm, I'm, I'm amazed as I go around churches, all the different ways of coming around the table and, and, and taking the bread and wine. And lately I've been saying, Lord, give us a way that this isn't just the ritual of the church. Give us a way, Lord, by your spirit. And we need the spirit of God to help us to enter in a little deeper to what it meant to you, the Holy One, to bear away our sin. And yet in all of our entering in, I don't think we could even begin to comprehend what it cost Jesus. But I tell you, he didn't give up. He set his face as a flint. From heaven to earth he came, but he didn't give up. From the glories of heaven and all the wonder of it, the one who spoke all things into existence took on a human existence and was born in a stable. No palaces, no great comforts. The divine took on our humanity. Wow, there's a series of messages. Permanently took on our humanity. Didn't take it on for 33 years and then leave it down again. No, there's a man exalted in glory. The first fruits, we will follow in exactly the same way on resurrection day. Can you imagine? The divine took on humanity permanently. He came from the worship of angels to the opposition of twisted, dead religious leaders with their agenda, trying to trick the Lord of glory and his words so they could catch him out. Can you imagine how frustrating that must have been? And then we go from there and he called 12 and he walked with them for three years and at the end of the three years, he was sold out by one of his own. Sold out by one of his own. Forsaken by the rest of them. And betrayed by a kiss. It, it just doesn't get any darker or more painful than that. But Jesus didn't give up. He had his eye on the cross and doing the will of the Father. And in the garden, he prayed, Father, if it's possible, remove this cup from me. Jesus had seen people crucified. And always remember this, the crucifixion of Jesus wasn't just like other crucifixions. Oh, yes, it was physically. But Jesus was carrying something that no other person ever crucified, ever carried. Because the one who knew no sin actually became sin for us. There was a whole other level of suffering going on when Jesus hung on the cross for us. Betrayed with a kiss, taken from the garden, and he was whipped, stripped, humiliated, and crucified. But he didn't give up. And the writer says to us here and says to the people that he wrote to originally, he says now, consider him. And there are some times when we're going through stuff, you just need to get alone and say, Lord, this is not a good season. This is not a nice time in my life. But Lord, when I consider what you went through for me, 
and you didn't give up. And the writer also says in verse 2, looking on to Jesus. It means setting other things aside and fastening, focusing our attention fully and completely and totally on him. Looking on to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and despised its shame. Seeing beyond it. And he calls us to live in a similar way, to see beyond this moment. To remember, although there may be a season of testing and a season of trial, even a season of pain or suffering, oh, I tell you, weeping may endure for a night, but the joy comes in the morning. One of the, the greatest phrases in the Bible is that it came to pass. And it does come. And it does pass. And even all the sufferings of this world will pass one day and yield way to an eternal kingdom where we will be in his presence. But when we got saved, we didn't just get heaven, we got into God's program. And he calls us to follow after him. And he says here, to lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us and run with endurance, with patience, this race that has been set before him. But above all, he's saying over and over again to these people he wrote to, don't ever throw in the towel. Don't ever give up. Let's bow in his presence. I want to thank you for listening so intently this morning. And I certainly don't want anyone going away feeling that our message this morning is, is a negative message or a, a defeated message in any way. We are more than conquerors because of these great truths. It's just the reality that sometimes there will be, there will be the seasons of trial. They may not last longer in the timings or the purposes of God than what we anticipated. Neither am I saying today that we should just take life and we just accept everything that comes at us. We need to lean into God. God sometimes will, will teach us to pray and to resist, to resist the devil and see him flee. But what I am saying, in every season God will work in our lives, he will teach and he will train. And if you're facing some stuff right now, and stuff comes to us in every age and every season of life, maybe we reach an older stage of life, we're facing a whole different set of battles than we faced in our teens. Maybe you're heartbroken this morning over children that are not following the Lord or grandchildren. And it's like, it's like a pain in your life. I tell you, do not be discouraged. And don't faint. Let the Lord have his way. Lean into him and he says, his strength will be made perfect in our weakness. And his grace, which will come to us right in the moment and in the time of need, his grace will be sufficient. Father, I thank you for your good people here. Thank you for those who will listen to this online. And Father, I lift them before you. And I pray that they will know the presence and the goodness of God in the land of the living. I pray, Lord, that they will lean into you, that, Lord, we will never lie down under what the enemy would bring, but that, Lord, we'll listen for your voice and your timing, and we will yield to you just as you set the example.
And Lord, in times of, of difficulty, that we will consider you the one who never gave up. In times of difficulty, Lord, that we will lean into you and draw upon your grace. And that, Lord, we will grow in our, 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 our likeness to Jesus. And that, Lord, you will have your unhindered way of working in all of our lives. Lord, bless the people today. Encourage those who need encouragement. May they know, Lord, that you have spoken a word into their heart today. That, Lord, they're not beyond your love. They're not beyond your care. But that, Lord, you're working, Lord, in the waiting. That you are working through the stuff that comes at us in life, even when we don't understand it. We have a heavenly Father whose love never ends and whose purposes are always being outward. Bless your people. Lord, continue to bless this fellowship. Continue to bless Trevor and Esther and the leadership team. Lord, continue to touch and transform lives. And we pray, Lord, that your name will continue to be exalted and glorified. We ask it all for Jesus' sake. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Many thanks, Edwin. I'm sure the Lord has been speaking to your heart and you've been truly uh, experiencing his, uh, his touch in your life. And, and there are those who will pray with you. Uh, please, if you have come with a burden and you want to share it with someone, then there's Sam and Sheila here and others will pray with you. If you want to speak with me on the way out, I'll be in the foyer. Come and speak with us. We'd just love to help you. But please don't leave with a burden. He's the, he is the burden bearer. We'll stand and sing a song which I didn't know what Edwin was speaking about, but this certainly fits in the goodness of God. We'll stand and sing.
lift up your heart to God in thankfulness for his goodness. Lift up your heart now. Lift up your voice to him and thank him for his goodness to you, for his patience, for his perseverance. He doesn't give up on us. He doesn't give up on you. hasn't given up on you. He's been working in your life and you haven't recognized it. He's been working in your life and you haven't identified it. Lift up your heart to him now. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, that everything you do is good in my life. Thank you, Solus, for the goodness of you, for the purpose of glory in your life, for your name, and for the good of my life. Lord, thank you for your presence with us, for your word to our hearts, for the purposes of God in this gathering, Lord, as you've sought to encourage those who've been going through tough and difficult trials. Lord, thank you that you've, you've spelled out to them that you're working. You haven't given up on us yet. You haven't given up on that life. You haven't given up on that father. You haven't given up on that mother. You haven't given up on that child. You haven't given up on that situation. God, you're still working. We thank you that you're a good, good God. You're a good, good father. And we bless your name for who you are. We, we, we celebrate our greatness, the greatness of our God today. Blessing him in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you'll continue with us throughout this day. Lord, revealing yourself more and more in your purposes for our lives. Father, as we leave this place, Lord, help us not to leave the presence of God, but to bring it with us to our homes. Perhaps, Lord, there's someone at home who's just too tired to come this morning. May they sense, Lord, that we've been in the presence of God today. Bless Edwin, and Lord, and bless Margaret as they continue to minister in their particular uh, position in the Elam Fellowship. We pray, dear God, that you'll reward them for their faithfulness. Lord, bless your people and separate us in your fear and with your blessing. And everybody said, and they shouted, and those still rejoicing. Amen. Thank you so much. God bless you.